Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Joel is the Chief Operating Officer of Worldwide Express, a $1.6 billion third-party logistics company that helps small to medium-sized businesses with their small parcel, less than truckload, and full truckload shipping needs. Worldwide Express is over 150 company-owned and franchise locations nationwide and supported over 92,000 customers in 2018. Prior to joining the company in 2015, Joel was a founding executive at the logistics consultancy Carrier Direct in Chicago, which was recognized as an Inc. 500 Fastest Growing Companies Award for their growth in 2014. Joel began his career at Accenture Strategy in Chicago, where he worked in a variety of multinational companies on enterprise strategy in the U.S., Europe, and China. Joel graduated from Michigan State University with a degree in finance and is a member of the uh, Eli Broad College of Business Advisory Board. All right, I just couldn't read that. My eyes are clearly going on me. <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Cameron. Great to be here. Yeah. Now, I um, I have been coaching. I should probably just kind of throw this right from the beginning. I've been coaching a company for the last six years called Blue Grace Logistics. Would they sure, be yeah. a competitor to you guys or in the same space in some way? Yeah, we're in the same space. Um, yeah, the the group out there, Bobby Harris and his his leadership team, I mean, Phenomenal company, you know, great group of individuals. I actually, when I got into the logistics industry, I began uh, Carry Direct. One of our first major clients was actually Blue Grace, so we worked with them a lot on the early days. But um, but yeah, they've got a great team out there between Bobby and Adam and you know, the rest of the, of the the Tampa Bay, Florida gang. So uh, really, really great people. Yeah, they're great people. I started coaching them when they were about 50 employees or about 800 now. And I never know who's getting on one of our calls. They just rotate people <laughs> through the leadership team. So yeah, it'll be like Adam, Vanessa, Randy. I just get all of them on the calls. They're great people. And Bobby's just, Bobby's one of those, those CEOs who, um, I don't, he, he's got that charismatic leader, but he's also like the core and the integrity. And then he's just really wicked smart in his space too, which is such a rare breed, I think. Yeah, it's, it was interesting when when I kind of got into the space because I really knew nothing next to nothing about about logistics and and then you know working with Bobby uh, kind of in their earlier days you know 2011 2012 um, you know I learned a lot about about like his approach which I thought was really good was much more of a people oriented philosophy um, than and I worked with a lot of Fortune 500 and Fortune 50 companies prior to that. But, you know, I, I didn't have this exposure to the companies that were a little bit more entrepreneurial, were trying to figure it out, you know, setting up new processes versus just optimizing processes. And I think, you know, Bobby's approach to that was was one where he always put people first and culture first. I think they've mm-hmm. just done a great job of maintaining that core, um, you know, as they've grown and expanded. So, you know, not to just make this a Blue Grace commercial, but uh, <laughs> but I think I think Bobby's done a great job with uh, with everything with that organization. No, no, I'll wrap. I'll wrap with one comment on it, and we'll switch over to you completely because you actually nailed, I think, the core of him. And he is he's got an employee in his company one day, and he's like, you know. If I ever had to fire that guy, I would just pack up the company and sell it and leave because I'm just <laughs> never getting rid of it. Like there's some just people that he's always loved since the very beginning of time that he's just, that's what it's more about for him as people. So sure. t- tell us about Worldwide Express. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think you hit it pretty well in the, in the overview, but, um, you know, we're a third party logistics company, which means that we work with, 
with shippers and carriers really to kind of optimize supply chains. And our, our focus has really from the beginning been on small to mid-sized business customers. We do work with with larger shippers as well, but you know, our, our core focus really has to do with, you know, working with with companies where they may not, they might they may not have the size and scale to really have, you know, a full full-blown shipping department where they've got a lot of expertise. Like their main focus as a company is whatever their product or their service is. Shipping mm-hmm. is generally an, uh, an afterthought for them. Now, I've never understood why companies, if, if they're not in the shipping business, would even get in the shipping business. Like, why would they just not use a service like yours? Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a good point. Um, and I, I think a lot of it just happens, you know, and look, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you, you get this as well. You know, a lot of times when you're building a company, you're, you're just trying to figure things out as you go along. And, and, and I think shipping is one of those things, probably similar to, you know, your payroll services or technology where you're really trying to figure it out as you grow and you don't exactly know what your strategy is going to be. Cause it's, again, it's kind of a secondary afterthought to what you're doing in your core business. So mm-hmm. a lot of the companies that we work with though, um, you know, the, the primary reason they use us is that we just make things easier for them. You know, we can provide them great technology, great service and great expertise that they don't have to have internally. Um, so it allows them to put a lot more focus on, you know, product development or R and D or taking care of their customers. So it's kind of a, you know, they, they leave the, complexity of the shipping process to us. And it works out fairly well. Cool. I got a totally random question that's tied to your industry. Where do you think the industry's headed with autonomous vehicles with these? <laughs> is that, do you think about that? Does that impact your industry? Is it good, bad? Does it matter? Um, I think like with most technology, uh, it's, it's for the most part, it's for the most part, it's very good. Um, I, I think anybody's crystal ball is equally murky on when, you know, we get to level five, uh, you know, autonomous vehicles where, you know, they're driving around on their own with no driver or, or anybody to support in the process. But, you know, the technology is out there um, for the most part. It continues to be refined. Um, but, you know, by and large, I think it's, it's one of those things where it will happen over the term. It's probably not going to be this light switch moment where one day you have, you know, driver, you know, led trucks and then the next day you have driverless trucks. But it will be where there's technology and advancements that happen that probably help out with certain aspects of the shipping process, you know, like the line haul over, you know, really long, you know, areas of the country where we have a little bit more kind of driver assist and then eventually driverless. And, you know, it's going to be more of a gradual approach to it than a light switch moment. But um, again, like with most technology, I think it's generally a good thing. It just takes uh, people and companies time to adapt to the changes. And so do you guys talk about that? Is that part of your strategy or strategic discussions of the future when you sit down? It's, you know, it's candidly, I'd probably say less. So, Um, you know, given, given our position, it's, it's more of something, you know, where we're, we're really non-asset in the sense of we work, we work with our carrier partners and with our shippers to, to kind of accomplish each of their goals. So it has more to do with us adapting to changes in the marketplace. And if our carrier partners started to lean more on, you know, autonomous or, or more mm-hmm. digitized processes, it's something that we want to be there to assist and work with them on it, but not really something where we're trying to push the envelope on what those next technological advancements might be. Where do you see technology coming internally in, a, in your organization or in kind of larger companies? Um, I think it's one of those things where, um, you know, the transportation industry as a whole is just so exceptionally large, um, you know, depending on whose, whose industry forecast that you look at, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a $700 billion plus industry. And I think when you look at industries, whether it be transportation or finance or real estate, technology is taking a greater and greater role within, 
within the ecosystem of everything within business. And, and I think there, there's, there's been a lot of investment in technology for technology's sake, um, which is probably not always the most uh, beneficial thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but I think that there are, there are a lot of really great things that are just making business processes um, more efficient. And, and I think as an organization, you know, we're a you know, $1.6 billion plus organization. You have to have a technology strategy about how you're adapting for the future. Um, you know, changing consumer demands on how they want to see information, how they want information pushed to them. I mean, it's, it, you, you have to be able to keep up with that and be willing to make those investments as a company in order to, to stay in line with where not just your industry is heading, but you know, where industries that are sort of tangential to your industry mm-hmm. are going to be impacting you in the future. So, um, yeah, I think, it, I think at the end of the day, um, tech's a really important part of the process. Um, but at the same time, though, we really try to emphasize a lot the, the people element of it as well. Because particularly with our segment of the the industry where we focus on the small to mid sized business customer, I mean we're it's more of a relationship driven um, approach than it is you know strictly a technological driven ap- approach. So for us, we use technology as a support and you know sort of or enabling function versus the the leading reason why you would work with Worldwide Express. That makes sense. Okay, so you sent you mentioned something that's always driven me crazy inside of organizations, and it's that technology for technology's sake, where it seems like the IT teams are really smart and they come up with these things that we really need, and all of a sudden we're running down these rabbit holes, and and we're like, all of a sudden, why are we doing that? How do you, how do you avoid that internally at, at Worldwide Express? Uh, you know, it's, I, it's let me I'll back up a little bit on it. Like, I think sometimes that's a good thing. Okay, in the sense of. I think if if you said, "Hey, the, here's our battle plan for the next you know ten years," and you know, damn be the changes that happen in the marketplace or whatever else, this is what we're going to go do. I think I think you'd find that you're you're probably pretty far off at the end of the day because you're always going to have a little bit of that sort of R and D or the sort of, "Hey, we're going to try some things out. We don't know if it's really going to work, but it might be something that actually leads to the next technological advancement." in the company. Like you have to continue to have that kind of mentality. You have to be willing to try. You have to be willing to fail. I think, I think what happens, you know, maybe I don't know too often, but it's, it's something that does occur though, where you don't realize that, Hey, something isn't working and you don't kind of peel back your focus and then pivot and then work towards something new. Um, So for us, I think it's, and like with most companies, I think that that operate this way, it's look, we have to have a pretty healthy balance of what our game plan is going to be. Um, and executing against that game plan. But at the same time, though, being willing to pivot when we find that we're maybe not making the investments in the right area. Um, and so that doesn't certainly just go to technology, but that's, that's anything within your business. So, so I think it's just having that sort of right, that, that mindset. And does that just occur because of the communication and the meeting rhythms at the leadership team level that you're all communicating with each other and you realize the pivot has to happen? Yeah, and I think being pretty clear about what the what the goals are that you're working towards as an organization too. Um, you know, so when when your when your company's aligned, at least the vision of where it's going, um, you know, from a you know five year basis or, or or you know even next month, what we're trying to accomplish. I think when people are aligned on that, they can they can they can see a little bit more clearly when they're off on the plan mm-hmm. or when something's really not taking them down that road. And and look, it's not easy by any means. I think whether you're a you know, a five person organization, a 1500 person organization, or a you know, 150,000 person organization, you know, communication is the single most difficult thing to make sure that everybody is, is, is all kind of aligned on. 
Um, you know, but I think the more that you can do that, the more that you're having the communication internally with the leadership team and that flows throughout the company, you know, via town hall updates or whatever it might be. I think that's kind of how you know when you might be a little bit off because you can kind of feel it in your gut, but then you also know that, hey, we're actually, we're not, we're not executing against the plan that we had. Uh, yeah. We're not, we're not, we're not moving towards the right things, I guess. I'm glad you brought up planning. We have a, uh, we started an organization three years ago called the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for the second in command. And our, our event that we're having uh, next week, uh, the theme of the event is reverse engineering and planning. And it's kind of because we're all <laughs> yeah. going into, when we're going into that, you know, annual planning season, right? Where we have to come right. up with our annual plan and our strategic plan. So how, how does the planning process work for you at Worldwide Express? Can you kind of walk us through that? maybe from the five year back to, you know, setting your weekly priorities? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a continually evolving thing. And, and I think you've always got your idea of, Hey, generally, what do we want to be when we grow up? And, you know, I think in the beginning of an organization, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, Hey, what actually works and how do we, how do we really make more of it work and become a bigger and better organization? You know, for us, we do a lot with just forecasting of where we want to be in the next couple of years. I think as we've gotten bigger, we've sort of now had to step back and say, okay, where's the industry going? Where do we think the trends are heading, um, you know, within the industry specifically? And then where should we specifically as a company play within it? Um, a lot of times I think you can look out at competitors or people in the marketplace and say to yourself, well, gosh, we should be doing these things too. And you can have a little bit of shiny ball syndrome and sort of chasing down things that maybe aren't really what's true and core to your organization. So I think being realistic about who your company is today and, and what you're capable of evolving into or, you know, or saying the course of where you are today and, and saying we want to you know, stay on this particular line is probably the first step of that process. And then, you know, sort of setting the sights of where do we want to go and then what are the competencies that we need to build within that? Mm. Um, you know, so those are, those are, and those aren't, those aren't like one day offsite things. I think too many companies sometimes like they want to, they want to say, well, gosh, we'll get, you know, a retreat together and we'll, we'll, we'll set the vision and then we'll go away for six months and then see how we did against it. It's, it's an everyday thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the setting of the strategy of where you're going should be fairly well locked in. So it's not changing every day where people then have no idea, you know, what road that they're on. But at the same time though, you're going to continue kind of going back to what we were talking about before you're going to continue to try different things and go down different roads in order to see if that's going to actually get you to that point that you're, you're, you're sort of shooting for. So I think having the, the, the high level plan is, is, is critically important. And then as an organization, you know, doing your weekly and your monthly checkpoints of like, Hey, how do we, or how are we executing against that plan? And do we need to make any changes? Um, and being willing to pivot and reiterate uh, or iterate along the way is, is critically important. So you need a pretty adaptable organization to deal with those obstacles. Yeah. So how do you how do you have those checkpoints? I, I wrote a book years ago called Meetings Suck, and it was written <laughs> um, it was written to try to teach every employee in, in every company how to show up and participate in meetings, and then also how to run meetings. I'm just curious how you guys run your your weekly checkpoints or leadership team meetings so that you stay on kind of the same page, and also so that you prevent silos from occurring. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the biggest thing, I think any company deals with it when you get larger, that, that, that point that you just hit on the silos occurring is, I think, I think that's the biggest challenge that any organization has. Um, and, and I don't think it happens consciously. Like I don't think mm -hmm. people are like, no, these are my resources and you, you can't touch them. 
But I think that people do operate and with a little bit of a mindset of, hey, this is my group. They don't see the entire enterprise wide vision of, of what you're doing and how what you're doing might impact somebody else. Um, you know, so I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if we've got the the formula figured out completely, but you know, we do keep you know regularly, weekly, and biweekly meetings with the senior leadership team where it's updates on where we're going, kind of more tactically, um, and you know, certain things that are core to the business. You know, we we spend more time on others, like you know, we we focus a lot on technology right now, so it's a major cornerstone of every update that we're doing. Um, so our CTO, you know, spends a lot of time on, hey, here's where we're going, here's what we need. And it just becomes much more of a, hey, what are the major issues that we need or major kind of points that we need to focus on right now? And then making sure you're giving enough time to that um, in order to get the resources that people need. And then, you know, on your kind of more tactically, you know, weekly, monthly meetings with your team members, I think it's a pretty much a, the same variation of, of, of the approach where it's like, hey, what are the core things that we should be focusing on? How are your teams doing and how are we executing against our plan? Um, so I think you just got to continue to move through it and, and, and in the, in the process, uh, avoid sort of your meetings suck kind of, uh, you know, comment of like, Hey, if, if we shouldn't be having meetings, if we should sort if we should be stopped doing, if we should stop doing something, we need to cut some things out of, of the process as well. Mm-hmm. Where do you, um, where are you kind of seeing blocks or your team struggling currently? If you talk about the teams and kind of what they're working on, where are you seeing leadership teams and, and managers struggling currently? Um, you know, I think worldwide is awesome. We don't struggle with anything. We're the perfect <laughs> company. No, but uh, no, I think it's, you know, our, the big things that we focus on again, because we don't have, because we don't have assets and, you know, in the sense of we don't have, you know, planes or trucks or, or trains or warehouses is, is it our, our focus always is, and I think it will always be our struggle is how are we recruiting, ret- retaining and developing our people in the right way. And, and as you know, if we've gone from an organization where, you know, four and a half years ago, we had, we had 60 employees that were sort of part of the, part of the corporate um- umbrella. Uh, and today we have <laughs> over 1500 that are underneath that same umbrella. Now, a lot of that had to do with franchise acquisitions and things that we've done along the way, but you know, talent is our, it's our, it's our primary concern. It's, um, yeah. if we don't have good people and we're not developing that next rung of leadership, then, you know, we'll be fine today, but you know, two years down the road, three years down the road, that's where the struggles really, really occur as an organization. So I think that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's probably our primary focus of, you know, it comes up in every meeting that I'm in. It's how are our teams doing and what are we doing to develop the next generation of leadership uh, underneath them. And then secondarily, it's, it's, um, because again, going back to the non-asset piece, our, it's about our carrier partnerships. It's about our relationships that we have with, with our asset-based um, you know, uh, uh, carrier partners. And, and I think you know, sitting down and making sure that we're both executing on strategies together that, that are mutually beneficial, that works for them and works for our customers is, is key. So we spend a lot of time on, on that as well. I am one of my okay and you mentioned um you know the development of people i think you talked about the recruiting and retaining and developing of people one of my first career jobs you know 30 years ago was with a group called college pro painters and i remember talking to the founder greg clark at at college pro and he said that a leader's job is to grow people and the more that we grow our people the faster our organization will grow so Right. I want, to, I want to start with that and then I want to go backwards to the recruiting and retaining, but 
just talk to us about the development of people and and how you guys, or, or even how you and your career have done that. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, it, it really is the fundamental part of any organization. And, and you know, if, if you don't really have a people first mentality, it's, it's something that can hurt you again, it might not hurt you today, but it could it can hurt you down the road. But, um, you know, it's for for worldwide, or, you know, kind of speaking more broadly, um, you know, sort of think about my own career, it's, it's really been probably my favorite part of, of kind of rising up within an organization to be able to spend more time on the, the people development and the team development. Because um, it's so cool to be able to see somebody who was sort of in one position, you know, a couple of years prior, and then, you know, they rise up, they take on more responsibility, they, they, they accomplish more things, they start to develop leaders underneath them. And I think it's just such a, you know, such a kind of rewarding part of the whole leadership journey. Um, you know, and I think what's cool, too, is like, as you start to kind of learn more about yourself, like, how you're able to develop people along the way as well. Um, you know, I think when I was probably, uh, you know, younger, I had a certain approach being like, well, everybody needs to be like me. And, you know, if I could just have a million Joels, the world would be better. But, you know, now I, I think my wife, my wife kind of reminds me that that wouldn't be better either. But, um, but you know, it's, but it, now it's much more of a look, it, it creates a, it takes a community of people to really do amazing things. And, and when you understand your own weaknesses, because um, we all have them, it's, mm. it's, it makes it so much more kind of fulfilling when you're able to find people that bridge those gaps and, and helping them to understand what their weaknesses are to fill their teams to, you know, sort of create a better, more cohesive ecosystems of people that are all kind of working together. So um, it's, it's a, I don't think, I don't think there's one great uh, formula for doing it. And I, and I think when you, when you try to step back and say, all right, what would the perfect team look like? You know, it's, um, everybody has their various opinions, but it is probably one of the most fun parts of, of my job at Worldwide and one of the most fulfilling part, parts of my career over the years to see people develop. I think you just touched on something too. That's in the school system, we were always told that, you know, if we were really bad at something, we had to get a tutor to become good at it. And the reality right. was we were just going to become painfully average and frustrated with whatever that area was. And yeah. it sounds like you're looking at the organization more holistically and saying that if somebody's bad in an area, let's hire someone who's great in that area so they complement each other. Yeah, and I and I and I think that there's a lot there's a lot to saying. Hey, I I don't think I'm ever going to be the perfect X, you know, whatever X might be. Mm-hmm. But let's find the person that really excels and enjoys doing that. And that's not to say that people won't evolve and won't get better and won't make weaknesses into strengths at some point because because that's totally possible. But it might not be the thing that you're you know that you're destined to do or that or that you're you're best equipped in order to actually accomplish. And, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take time and consideration to understand that part of the world. Like, you know, if, if technology is not your forte, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take the time and effort to understand, you know, how it all works and fits together. But yeah, you might not be the person that's actually running that play. Um, but having the, taking the time to build the appreciation of those different, you know, parts of the business or, you know, your personal life, whatever it might be, I think is critically important though, to say, well, who would be the right person? And how can we get that person in that role um, so then they can flourish and do well and, and, and do some things that you're probably not capable of? Do you have many of the, the baby boomer cohort working with you at Worldwide Express? Kind of the, the 55 to 75 year olds? Um, yeah, I mean, we do. It's, it's, uh, it's not probably, it's not the biggest group within the organization, but, but sure. there are, yeah. 
how do we how do we get them more up to speed on technology? I mean, they have the wisdom of you know often leadership and just yeah. being around business for a lot longer than maybe the 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 second half of the Gen Y cohort, right? The I don't know what they sure. would be the twenty eight to forty year old. Um, but they, you know, the younger Gen Y just adapt technology and leverage technology <laughs> yeah. so much faster. How do we, how do we get the baby boomers to adapt the technology more? And then how do we get the, um, the younger Gen Y to kind of grow and realize that maybe their confidence isn't, <laughs> you know, like it, it's yeah. like, it's awesome to have that confidence, but it's okay to say, I really don't know what I'm doing as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's like with most things, it's exposure, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and, and again, and sort of being willing to accept that, hey, maybe I'm not going to be the most uh, technologically savvy person, but I can, you know, having people that are open-minded, I think, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, if I, I don't care what generation somebody's from, right? It's not, it, to me, it's like, it, I think the labels can sometimes be disruptive because it puts people into boxes that, that may or may not be true given their experiences and their circumstances and what they've experienced in life. True. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I think when people across any age or across any geography have, have the open-mindedness to be exposed to something that they're not really um, that familiar with, it, it creates a really good opportunity for you to find or to build a perspective that's unique because you're pulling in so many different sort of individual um, sort of uh, pieces to that puzzle, right? And I think the, the puzzle becomes that, more, that much more rich. Um, you know, like in the beginning of my career, when I was with, working with Accenture, I was really fortunate to be able to, to work overseas in, in, um, in Asia and in, in Western Europe. And I learned, like I didn't have a lot of experience doing those types of things, but I learned so much from my counterparts, some of which were my age, some were older, just on their, their views and their outlooks on life. Um, I think because I, I had a little bit more of an open mindset about, about what their experiences were. And I think when you go into situations and you don't say, hey, I'm the person that knows the answer to everything, uh, you learn so much more in the process. So I, I don't know, again, I, don't, I, I wish I had like a really good formula and that I could just be like the Joel Klum approach. But, um, but I, I think it, a, lot of, a lot of anything has to do with just surrounding yourself with people who are open-minded and, and willing to adapt and change and work together as a team irrespective of their background. Yeah, it makes sense. Okay, talk to us a little bit on the front end of the people side then. If we're looking back to, you know, all the people processes and, and we hit recruiting, what kind of things have you guys learned on the recruiting side that we can learn from? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think probably the biggest thing is knowing that, you know, and I think we're in a constantly evolving world that there's, there's no perfect formula or there's no perfect one place that you can find people. You know, the, I think the great thing about, you know, our company or, or different organizations that I've been with is that people have very interesting and diverse backgrounds and, you know, they come from very different places and you're not all recruiting from the same school or they have the same exact look or feel or whatever else, but it's like finding people with the, with the right sort of mindset. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as a salesperson, as an example, like you want people who are willing to learn, uh, who want to compete, who want to win, and are willing to kind of put in the effort, you know, despite the ups and downs of a sales process. So that doesn't mean that that person is exactly the same as, as somebody that you just hired for that role, you know, in a, in a different market or even the same market. Right. Um, I think it has a lot to do with the interview process to really see, does somebody have the right, the right sort of approach and the right, again, I'm overusing the word, but mindset to do well in that role. Um, and so I, I think for us, 
it's understanding what is it going to take to do really well in that position and then saying we need to find people that that sort of have that same sort of tenacity or that the demeanor that fits well in, the, in that in that in that position which is a struggle i think a lot of fast growing companies have is look you know particularly like in cities like you know we're in dallas where main main, uh, main headquarters it today's market is challenging to find really good people so that means that you have to have a place where people want to work at, that they want to stay in, that they enjoy the, the teamwork that or the teams that they're working on. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's not just one thing where it's like, once you hire them, then great, you got them. You know, it's like, you, you got to keep them too after that fact and then develop them and train them and get more opportunities in the future for, for career growth. So, um, you know, it's a constantly evolving living process. Mm. So has anything changed for you in terms of the actual interview process itself over the years? Have you guys learned anything or adapted anything in the actual, you know, you've got a candidate in front of you and we're doing interviews? You know, we've, um, we've, we've begun, uh, well, one thing, I think the process has to be faster uh, today than it ever has been before. Um, you know, you're, you're, we're not in a position right now, I, I say we, but the collective we being employers, where you're really where, where, where you're in a market where people are willing to wait on the process because mm-hmm. um, there's other companies who are also looking for really good talent, you know, in your industry or in, in other industries. So you've got to be faster about being able to make the decision on people, particularly really good people that you think would be great fits in the organization. So you have to be fast. Um, and then at the same time though, I think you, which means that you've got to be faster of identifying, would these people be a good fit within the organization? And so relying on tools like we use uh, the culture index, which, which has been a phenomenal tool for us of understanding maybe at the surface level, but then, you know, maybe a click or two down, how do people really tick and, you know, what sort of things, you know, do they personally thrive in, you know, how, you know, what, did, how, how detail oriented are they? What's their patience level, you know, their, their desire to win, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, using those types of tools to help expedite the process and then reduce the sort of back end. Yeah, I call it the bad hire quotient of, you know, we brought somebody on who we thought was good, but maybe we didn't do enough in the process because it was a little bit faster to understand who they actually are. Um, you know, so I think that just means you need to have more adept managers and hiring managers who are, you know, really understanding, you know, what are the types of people that we need on this team and then being willing to, to pull the trigger pretty quickly to bring folks on. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, I think if you actually sit down and look at the entire interviewing process from, you know, we, we get a resume to the point of, you know, the offer was accepted. The process itself doesn't ever take a lot of time. It's just each of the, each of the, the um, blocks of time in between each step that takes time. You know, like right. if you've got three interviews and they're each an hour or two hours long, that's six hours. And if you've got, you know, a resume screening and you've got a meet to debrief on it, so you're at a total of eight hours well, what are you doing with the rest of your week? Like, it, it <laughs> right, yeah. know, but I think what happens is we end up putting like four days in between each step and all of a sudden it's dragged out to be a six week process instead of being a two day process. Like if you put, yeah. it's just removing that space and I don't, I'm not, um, I wasn't one of the smart guys, so I don't know what, what that's called, but you just remove the space in between each step and the process is fast. Yeah, that's right. It's like a little bit of process re-engineering just to say, hey, what are we trying to accomplish and how can we accomplish it the quickest, most efficient way possible? But yeah, and, I, and again, the reality is, is that if you're in a position where your company is growing really quickly, you know, the people that are interviewing are also the people that are managing teams. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. just that there's other things that go on and the scheduling that goes into it. So right. you got to be really deliberate and making sure that you're you're putting the right energy and energy or energy and attention into 
you know, the, the hiring, the hiring process. Cause it's, again, it's, it's core. Like if you're not, if you're not hiring good people and, and, and keeping them on the team, you know, it's, it's, it's a painful thing for an organization. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the retaining. So you talked about, you know, recruiting, retaining and developing people. So do you have any systems or tools in place that you use to retain good people? Yeah, I think the you know, the, the big thing is you, I, it's not even a question anymore of whether or not, you know, the, the perks that you have within the organization, like you, you have to offer, obviously, just the, the minimum of, you know, things that, that people need to accomplish their, their, their sort of goals in life, you know, from a compensation standpoint and, and sort of, you know, health benefits and things of the like. And then at the end of the day, like, I mean, when you're, when you're focused on a, you know, a, a workforce that has a lot of opportunities, you also have to be really mindful of just the team atmosphere that they have as well. You know, like we invest a lot in, in our office space to make sure that it's, it's new and modern and, and it's a place that people are proud of, of going to every day. You know, it's a place that, it's a place that they want to be at. It's a place that they, you know, when they're walking by a building and somebody says their friend or their, you know, their spouse or their kids, Hey, look, I, I work in that office. Oh, that's really cool. You know, it's, um, you know, so we, we focus a lot on that. Um, and then, um, and, and I think this is the most key part, but I don't, I don't think it's new necessarily, but training and development. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the cornerstone aspects of, of, of anybody, I think, across generations. But like how, you know, for me and personally, in my career, it's always, the question is always going to, has always been, how can I get better at what I'm doing? And how can I kind of level up in, in my own career? And, you know, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of people who, you know, who are, you know, listen to your podcast or who are out there, if you don't have that and you're, you know, sort of, if you're a talented person and if you can't see how you're going to move along in your career or how you can get better, you start to kind of get the itch of, of exploring that elsewhere. So, you know, for us, it's how do we continue to give our people more training and tools for, for developing themselves, both kind of in their individual contributor role, but as managers and things of the like. Um, and then also giving people new challenges and, and sort of, I don't want to say just tasks, but like new mountains to climb that, that keeps them excited about coming into the business. So, you know, if you, if you say to somebody, Hey, you're going to be doing the same job today for the next five years. Um, most people today would say, nah, that's not really for me. Like I don't, I don't really want that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can give them opportunities to grow and take on more responsibility, uh, and sort of see their career flourish over time that's what keeps people excited. You know, the, the office space, the perks and all the rest of that stuff, that's really important too. Cause I think that goes into the sort of mindset of what that they bring into the office every single day. But if you keep, keep giving people opportunities to, you know, become better versions of themselves, I think that's what gets people really, really excited. And we've yeah. just benefited because we've had a lot of growth as a company. So there's just been a lot of those opportunities for people to, to take on over the years. Right. When you actually touched on something I think is key as well, you said that it almost like you're very much a self-driven learner. Um, I think part of uh, truly building that great growth organization is hiring more people that are growth oriented learners themselves and and then giving them those tools. Right. But you can't push string. You you can't teach teach people unless they want to learn. Um, Well, you have to, you have to too. It's like, I think some of it comes down to and we struggle this with this just like any other company does, but like showing people what their career paths can be. You know, a lot of times people will say, gosh, I really want, um, I, I really want to know what my career can look like and you know, what I can, what I can do and what I can be. And in a lot of companies, they, a lot of companies do, I think do a really good job to say, Hey, you start here, then you go there, then you go there, then you go there. And here's the time frame that it takes and everything else. But what we try to emphasize with people as well is, 
look, there's, there are career paths that you can follow. And they're great career paths. And, they, and you'll learn a lot over the, uh, over the term. But we're a fast-growing company where things are constantly changing. So if you think that there's an opportunity or if you could see something about like taking on more responsibility and sort of choosing your own adventure and building, you know, your, your career in the way that you want to build, let's talk about that and let's brainstorm. Like I, like I love the conversations that I can have with someone within World Blood Express or, you know, friends or, or people that I mentor where they say, gosh, here are the things that I want to do. How can I build a career that allows me to do those types of things? Because um, I think companies more and more now are are having to be much more creative about the way that they can give those choose your own adventure type approach to career development. Um, because frankly, those are the kind of people that we want as the future leaders of the company, you know? So sure. I, I think there's a healthy balance somewhere in between there. How about your career? Where have you had to focus in, in um, you know, growing your skill set to become effective as a COO? Um, it's yeah, a lot, uh, <laughs> I'm being candid, but... Um, you know, it's, I, I think there's things that I'm naturally good at. And I think there's things that I probably struggle with more than, than, than maybe the average person. Um, you know, for me, I, I benefited a ton, um, and not going too far back, but like I went to Michigan state university, I benefited a ton from the experiences that I, that I got at Michigan state. In the sense of, like, I, I think I'm, I'm naturally a very introverted person. And um, I'm naturally someone who doesn't really, uh, I, I think, communicate well with the outside world. It's, I'm more of a thinking analytical type behind the scenes, hmm. at least in my own head. And right. so I, I had to learn a lot in, in Michigan State, and I had a lot of opportunities to take on more leadership roles where I was forced to become a better communicator where I was forced to understand how can I become more effective at communicating my ideas and my visions to get people rallied around uh, those concepts. And then, you know, when I went to Accenture, which I think is, you know, one of the greatest companies out there, they did a, a, a tremendous job taking a lot of very analytical type people, um, you know, people that are more methodical in nature. That's why they tend to be in those types of roles and really helping you to develop the skill set to be able to communicate with people that are, that are far and beyond in their own careers, right? Because you're thrown into situations where you're talking in a boardroom to somebody who's been running the sales organization for the past 15 years for a multi-billion dollar segment of a, you know, a really big company. So you gotta get really good at being able to communicate. Um, and so for me, that, that was probably the biggest thing that I had to learn, like to become a more effective communicator, both kind of verbally and written, PowerPoint, all the rest of that fun stuff. Um, and then, and then I think the, the part that's probably more recently within the past five years become really important for me is, is relationship building. Hmm. I think mm -hmm. as you, you know, it, it doesn't matter if your company's five people or again, or 500,000 people, it's like you, you have to have the ability to build really strong relationships with people when you're particularly when you're higher up within an organization. Um, cause there's not one thing that I do that doesn't impact somebody else within the company. Mm -hmm. And so I have to have a very strong relationship with our CFO and our CTO and our head of sales and, you know, span the gamut of, of the people within the company um, to be able to accomplish my own goals. But then at the same time, they'll help them accomplish their, their, their goals as well. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of that, it's like, again, that's, I'm probably speaking hopefully to some of your listeners when I say this, it's like, but when you're more analytically minded, 
you know, effective communication and building relationships aren't really the things that you're born with. So you've got to really develop those skill sets on top of sort of your, 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 your given characteristics that maybe you were born with, uh, or at least come, come a little bit more easily to you. It's interesting. I think that relationship building is probably one of the core things I learned when I went away to university as well, because you didn't have, I didn't have my parents to be pushing me into things and I didn't have my core group of friends that I'd been growing up with through school. All of a sudden it was just me in this kind of big university and it was okay how do I start meeting people and developing friends and you start you start you're at an age where I think that introspection kicks into gear pretty heavily yeah for sure I totally agree with that and then you're and then you know not to belabor the point but you're you're also part of a new a new population of people that are very different than what you you grew up with right Mm -hmm. you're you know the town that I grew up in was a I grew up in a small town and in in, um you know kind of between Lansing and Detroit and Michigan you know where it's, I don't want to say, I mean, it was a great place. Like I, I love the, I love where I grew up, but when I went to school, it was a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And so it's a total, you have to have a total, again, open mindset about, you know, new cultures, new backgrounds, new people that, that, that didn't come from the same place that you came from. Um, and I think if you close down and you say, I'm not willing to, to learn, then, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're missing a tremendous opportunity to sort of grow as an individual. Yeah, very much. It's interesting. I'm at a stage where in 48 hours, I'm taking my uh, oldest son off to his first year at university and we're, um, he's moving into residence and it's a bit of a strange, <laughs> those flashbacks, right? It was, it was a tough time. Yeah, so, yeah, I remember when my parents dropped me off and I was just sitting there like, oh shit, things just got real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked out the window and I kept staring out the window going, I know I'm never going to see their car, but like, maybe I will. Um, <laughs> right. So Joel, if you were to think back to your kind of 21, 22 year old self, right? You're graduating university, you're starting sure. your career. What would you give yourself as that one word of advice or that one kind of thing that you know to be true now that you wish you'd known earlier on? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I could boil it down to one word, but, um, but not one word, but sorry, like, a, is there anything that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? Yeah. It's, and I, and I think I, I think I learned it really, really early on, but is, is really had to do with the importance of surrounding yourself with really good people. And, and I don't necessarily always mean really good people from just a talent standpoint. I don't mean really good people from a, just a, a moral standpoint, though the people you should surround yourself should have integrity. But I, you know, I think, I think I, I, I firmly, firmly believe in that concept of you're kind of the average of the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. And, mm. and I think surrounding yourself with good people who can remind you you know, sort of the importance of whatever it is in your life, that's kind of the virtue that you're, that, or the virtues that you're trying to achieve is so critically, critically important. Like I came to Worldwide Express because it's a, it was a great company. It was growing a lot. But I looked at the team and, 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 I, and I really thought to myself, gosh, these, these are people that I think can help make me better. Like, I think there are people that can challenge me. I think there are people that I can learn a lot from. Mm-hmm. I think there are people that I can, I can maybe impart some, some, some knowledge on as well. But like, like I can learn a lot from these, from these people. And I have like our, our CEO is somebody that I, I respect a ton. And, and, you know, he was a big reason of why I, I came here. You know, it's like when I look at when I was developing the most in my career at Accenture, it was because I was learning from people that were just exceptionally talented, that, that had, had done really interesting things and had interesting backgrounds and I could just learn a bunch from. And 
And I think, I think that kind of gets lost sometimes because people are, they, they, they tend to chase the, you know, particularly in their twenties, I think they tend to chase the paycheck and they, they tend to chase the title. And I, and, the, and those things are good, obviously. Um, but, but at the end of the day though, I think when you're in your first decade out of college, your, your major focus should be, how can I continue to get better? How can I become a better version of myself? How can I, how can I learn and grow as much as possible? And, and the rest of those things, the title and the pay and everything else, that, that sort of comes with it. It's a byproduct of, of becoming a better version of you. Um, so I think I, you know, I, again, I think I, I was fortunate to learn those types of things, you know, early on in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you learn it by not following that advice though. And I think those, sometimes yep. those are the best lessons. Um, but I would, I would, re- I would probably write down in a note, be like, Hey, open this when you're 25. Um, but you know, it's, but it, it, that really is the big thing is just surrounding yourself with good people that make you a better version of you. That's really cool. Joel Klum, the chief operating officer for Worldwide Express. Thank you very much for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. Cameron, this was great. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was awesome. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.